Hebrews 12, uh, starting in verse 12 through verse 17. Hebrews 12, 12. As we pick back up, uh, continue again in the book of Hebrews. Let's give careful attention now to the reading of God's word. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, our God, your word is true and your word is good for us. And we thank you for giving us your word. And we thank you for this opportunity to read and to look into your word together. We pray now that as we dig into it together, that you would give us not only a comprehension of your word, but that you would give us an even greater appreciation for it and obedience to it out of love and gratitude for you and for your greatest gift to us of Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a new year, right? (laughs) We made it, finally, to the end of 2020 and into the unknown of 2021. Around this time of year, it's common to look back and look forward, right? Look back on what happened in the last year and look forward to our hopes for the year to come. I don't want to spend too much time doing that here this morning. We've probably already been doing a lot of that uh, personally or in our own families even. Uh, But looking back on 2020, there is one phrase that got used a lot last year uh, that's relevant to our look at this passage this morning. And that's the phrase, we're all in this together. Heard that one a bunch, didn't we? (laughs) And there's some truth to that, right? There were major events in 2020 that affected all of us. More so than most years, I think. But with increasing social isolation, together is maybe not a word that most of us would use to describe our experience of 2020. For many of us, the world felt even more polarized and more divided, more lonely in 2020 than in uh, many previous years. But looking forward, 
Now, there's a lot that this passage would commend to us, a lot that it would warn us against. But, you know, the main theme that our author has been encouraging us in so far in chapter 12 of Hebrews, if we can remember back to last year when we were, uh, had been going through chapter 12, um, the, the, the main thing that, he, that he's been encouraging us in in chapter 12 is to make it to the end, right, to endure, uh, not, not just to the end of another year, but ultimately to the end of our race, of our lifelong voyage down the course of faith. And one of the ways that comes up in this passage that we're, we're given by God to empower us to make it to the end, uh, maybe not the, the main theme, but at least a, an important sub-theme that, that comes up over and over again because it's important and it's widely applicable, uh, is that we're called to make it to the end together. And that's, that's both a, a command and also a support for the, this and all the other commands in the text, that we make it to the end together. We're in this together, as it were. Because whether we feel like it or not, whatever our experience may be, the Christian life is one that we're all in together. That's what the church is, whether we live out this calling well or not. We are members one of another, Romans 12, 5, and we're responsible for one another. So the Lord in this text would call us to live out that calling well and to run together. And in order to equip us for the goal of enduring to the end, the Lord gives us this task of working together in three main pursuits in this passage. And he calls us to work together for peace, for holiness, and for the gospel. Peace, holiness, and the gospel. And in each of these pursuits, these callings, the Lord gives us both a positive and a negative command in our text. Short text, right? But there's a lot there. So, So positively, what to pursue, and then negatively, what to avoid. And each one of these could probably be a sermon in and of themselves. So as a heads up, we will by no means cover all of this, uh, or really any of this, <laughs> exhaustively, uh, you know, if we ever did, right? We, we can never do that with God's word. But I do hope instead uh, to encourage us with, with just a few words to try to help maybe to bring this text more directly into the realm of our daily lives as we look forward to running this race together in 2021 and ultimately to the end. So to get right into it, the first of the three callings we're to pursue together from this text is peace. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone. But what does that mean? And how are we to pursue peace. It doesn't say much more than that here. So when one passage of scripture is less clear, we go to the rest of scripture to help us to understand it. That's our uh, major principle of interpretation. Romans 12, 9 through 21 is a great place to go to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to think about peace and what that looks like for Christians. It tells us, among many things, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And it gives lots of suggestions for how to do that, for what uh, contributes to peace. 
I wish I could unpack that whole passage this morning in light of our call to strive for peace, but for the sake of time, I'll just mention it and move on to a couple of shorter passages that are more directly focused in ways that tie into our text. But if you want to dive deeper into the things it could mean when God calls us to peace, look up Romans 12, 9 through 21 later. You'll have plenty to digest. More directly related to our text, though, in Mark 9:50, Jesus tells his disciples to have salt in yourselves, that is, to be zealous, and be at peace with one another. That almost sounds like it could be a contradiction, doesn't it? Because zealous people don't really strike us as the most peaceable, do they? Right? They're, they're usually the ones they are seeking to tear down something wrong and stand firm for what's right. And And that usually involves some conflict, doesn't it? But Jesus didn't say, avoid all conflict. He said, be at peace with one another in the context of telling us not to lose our salt. That is, be zealous for truth, but work together. That's what he's saying there. In Romans 14, the Lord says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And in the context, he's talking about not causing one another to stumble when we disagree about matters both of doctrine and of practice. In the case of the Romans, the particular practice was eating certain foods. And he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And do not, he says, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. In other words, pursuing peace means building one another up, even when we disagree, bearing with one another in our differences, both of doctrine and especially of practice, not putting stumbling blocks in front of one another, not tempting one another to sin, right? Especially uh, in, this, in this context, to, to sin against someone's uh, Holy Spirit-sanctified conscience, right? Which is not the same thing. We, right, we can't get it confused. It's not the same thing as just doing something they don't like or something that goes against our uh, like political or economic or educational preferences, anything like that. Right? Again, we, we bear with one another in our differences. Right? We're allowed to have differences on lots and lots and lots of uh, topics, lots of different opinions, as long as we're not sinning, right? doing something against what God commands. So not tempting one another to sin and not enticing one another to guilt where there's none in Christ either. Right? That's kind of the, the two sides of, of that uh, stumbling block idea not tempting to sin, and not uh, pouring on guilt where Christ has done away with it. Rather, the text tells us, let us pursue the things that make for peace and mutual upbringing. Mutual, even in differences, upbringing. Now, that's an active verb, pursue, right? Because it's not just going to happen. We have to work for peace because there are so many things that divide us. And, and now is not the time for further division, right? If somebody loves the Lord, the one true God who made heaven and earth, how can we encourage and support one another and work together, 
right? Not, not uh, destroy the work of God, right? To work together to bring the gospel to those who are perishing. That's another theme uh, that also ties in really well from our text in Hebrews. That is the, the work of God that we must not spoil for the sake of food or masks or elections or school choice or opinions or preferences of any kind, even for things that are important, right? These, the, those things are certainly important, uh, but, but uh, working together for the sake of making Jesus known seeing to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, verse 15 in our text, that is what's most important, more than anything and everything else that we care about. That's why we have to work for peace together, not to let those stumbling blocks trip us up on the way. Now, those other things are important, and we can discuss them, and we can pursue faithfulness in them together and, and try to figure out, you know, if there are better ways to pursue faithfulness in them. But what we can't do is let them divide us so that uh, we destroy the work of God. And that's the positive side of that command. Strive for peace. And the negative side that we see uh, it, it, it is in verse 15. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And the Lord pairs bitterness here as the opposite of peace. And, and that's kind of unexpected, right? At least it is for me. I think, you know, we usually think of peace maybe as the opposite of conflict, Right? But as we've already said, it's, it's not going to mean the absence of all conflict, just unnecessary conflict that hinders rather than supports the work of God. But bitterness that, that nurses discontent at not getting our preferences, our way, and that, that simmers under the surface and spreads to others, Well, that'll kill peace and derail the whole cooperative project of working together for the gospel quicker than anything. And that phrase, root of bitterness, is lifted straight out of the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. And in uh, that verse and and the verses that follow, it it warns against uh, being tempted by the wealth of Egypt that the people of Israel came out of uh, or that of the nations they were about to enter into. And then turning away from the Lord to serve the idols of the nations around them. Uh, Warns against neglecting God's word and saying in their own heart, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. God warns his people, he will not forgive one who falls away from him due to bitterness and covetousness. Using some pretty strong language. You can look it up later if you want. Again, that's Deuteronomy 29. Bitterness is so destructive, not only because it turns us away from the Lord, as if that weren't enough in itself, right? That alone is worthy of hell. But it's also destructive because it spreads among God's people, and it puts up barriers between us, and it destroys the peace that God uses to overcome the work of the evil one. So so in working for peace with one another, we also have to guard against bitterness and covetousness and and envy in ourselves 
and to encourage one another to avoid those things as well. Because it is a cooperative project, and and bitterness in one of us is a threat to the whole community. It, It can cause many to become defiled, as the text says. So that's our first thing to strive for together, for peace, building one another up so that we can work together for the good of God's kingdom. And the second one is related. It's holiness. Verse 14 again, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but peace and holiness are, I mean, two good things, right? But not two things that automatically go together in my head, right? Like like I can see it, but it's not the first association I would make with either word. I'd probably come up with a few other things. If, you know, if you say peace, holiness is not the first thing I think of, and, and vice versa. Right? But the Lord continues to defy uh, my expectations, if not our expectations as a whole. For the Lord Jesus, these two things are inextricably linked, because God's peace doesn't exist apart from a pursuit of holiness. Again, God's peace isn't just absence of conflict, right? But, but an active working for truth and justice and faithfulness on behalf of others. That means where there's something wrong, God's peace doesn't just leave it alone, right? Doesn't just maintain the status quo in the name of not rocking the boat. That might be worldly peace, It's an absence of conflict, but it's not godly peace. It's an unholy peace because it allows uh, wrong to remain. An unholy peace can't last because it's neither holy nor is it really honestly truly peaceful. It's full of tension. It's it's, it's got unaddressed sin or or potential sin and conflict and harm just just simmering under the surface, always threatening to erupt and destroy the so-called peace, which means there's really no peace at all, is there? And if there's always that threat, how well could you sleep if you knew for a fact that there was a burglar in your neighborhood who could burst through your door or windows at any moment? You wouldn't really sleep, would you? Right? You'd be on the lookout. You'd you'd be prepared. There's always that threat, right? That's not peace. But that's what unaddressed sin is. And that's why holiness is crucial for true peace. That's why they go together. Jesus also taught that holiness and peace go together. In the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you remember when he said it? It was right immediately after he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right together again. And and, and Jesus said first what our passage reminds us, that it's only by perfect holiness that anyone will be able to see God. Our holiness is is essential, which is why it's so amazing that Christ Jesus himself is for us not only our justification, but our sanctification, our holiness by his grace through faith. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone that we will see God. We receive his perfect 
holiness, the only true holiness, as a gift of his free grace, which is why the text goes immediately to that theme of God's grace in the very next verse, right? Verse 15. But if that's all we ever say about the topic, we neglect the important fact that God in his word also calls those of us who are justified by Christ Jesus, by grace, through faith, who have been and who are being sanctified by the spirit of Christ. It calls us to continue to pursue holiness. If you have your Bible and, and uh, want to follow along, you can flip with me. Let me just read the last, or excuse me, the first part of 1 Thessalonians 4. It's another one that that ties in pretty well. Um, One of many, many, many New Testament passages calling believers in Christ who have been saved by him to holiness. Uh, We already saw a little bit earlier in Ephesians 4 as well. But let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. Just let let me read it for you here. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. By the way, this is one of the few times in the Bible God just comes right out and says, this is my will for you. You ever want to know God's will? Here it is. Listen. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Again, that, you know, that's the Lord's concerned about our peace and unity and, and caring for one another, right, in in the context of holiness. Um, Sorry, that no one uh, transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You've been thinking about what to do for a New Year's resolution. Here's a great one right here. You know, usually we think about things that are of temporal value, like working on our physical health. And those are good, right? Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, Taking care of our bodies is an acknowledgement that God made all of us. uh, And then he calls us to, to care for and exercise dominion over and to steward his creation, which includes ourselves. And how much more ought we to take special care of that which he made in his image, right? Failing to care for our bodies amounts to a denial of that fundamental truth. So there's nothing wrong with a resolution to focus on our health, okay? But while we're resolving to care for the part of us that has an expiration date, let's not forget to focus on the things that will last for eternity, seeking to become more and more like God himself in our spirit. That's what God himself calls us to. And to disregard this command, as the text says, is to disregard God himself. We do so at our own peril. Which is why the Lord, in our passage, in verse 16, gives us the negative side of this command. That is, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy, 
like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. See, Esau cared only about the here and now. He cared about what he could see and touch and taste and smell. He cared about food and fun and females, as it were. He wasn't thinking about eternity. What is a divine birthright worth to Esau? A gift for his own future and the future of his family when he's hungry. He, he wasn't thinking forward. And he had the same access to God that his brother Jacob had. And, and, and by the way, Jacob wasn't exactly seeking after the things of God either, right? So much as just trying to get the better of his brother. <laughs> it's God's grace alone, really, that saves Jacob. That's, that's clear from the biblical account. And God shows his holiness both in saving one brother and in demonstrating the consequences for disobedience in the other brother. They both deserve to be cut off, but God is faithful to his promises and he gives immeasurable grace to the one. And that's why we can't miss the grace of God. Again, verse 15, right? Because without it, we also would be like Esau. Esau, as you may remember, took two wives, not uh, because he was trying to be faithful to God, but because it was convenient uh, and, and out of lust, right? Esau, whose, whose active disobedience wasn't nearly as bad as his general just lack of caring about trying to be faithful to God. He just didn't care about eternal things. He only cared about his life here and now until it was too late. He let that root of bitterness grow up in him, wanting more than God would commend to us as wise in this life. And that root, you know, it starts out small, right? Just a bowl of soup for Esau without the work that it would take to make it or thankfulness for those who made it for him. But it grows and it spreads quickly and it caused dire consequences and still does if it's not uprooted early. Just like the maple trees that come up in the middle of your yard. By the time you see the leaves sprout, it's already almost too late in most cases to pull them out. Unless the ground's like really, really soft, right? It's going to take extra work now to dig them out. Because it's a strong root. And so is a root of bitterness. So we take care not to let it take hold as Esau did, harming ourselves and those around us, both in the here and now, as well as for eternity. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And third and most importantly, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We're starting with the negative side of this command for the last one because it's the most clear. By the time Esau realized his mistake, that he'd cared too much for the blessings of this world and not enough for the blessings of eternal value, it was too late for him. He lost his chance. It was gone. But we don't want that for anyone, do we? That's why the command doesn't just say, see to it that you don't fail to obtain the grace of God, but it says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We are our brother's keeper. 
God calls us, in a sense, to be nosy, as it were, about our neighbor's spiritual walk, in a sanctified way, of course. But the Bible doesn't say not to talk about religion. That would be pretty silly. The Bible said that. But that's the, that's the world's wisdom, right? Don't talk about religion. We don't, we don't want contention. The Bible very clearly says the opposite. It says, Deuteronomy 6, talk about it when you sit down and when you stand up and when you walk and when you lie down. In short, we should be talking about God's word all the time. Because if we, if we truly love our neighbor, as we're also called to do, we care that they also only have a limited time, like Esau, to lay hold of the grace of God, which alone can save them. None of us knows how many days or years or maybe hours we have left. That's one truth that's hit many people a whole lot closer in 2020. And we're told to to see to it in our text. The the Greek word is actually the same word from which we get the word overseer, or in some traditions it's translated bishop. We have a degree of moral authority, in a sense, that, that we're supposed to use to watch out for our neighbor, to do our best, to be sure that they don't miss the grace of God, that they are aware of their need for it and of Jesus's free offer of it. Obviously, we know from the rest of Scripture that we can't actually save them, right? Only God can save people. He is the one who gives the faith that is needed to believe and be saved by his grace. Scripture also says, how can they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And so many people have never heard of the real Jesus, right? The Jesus of the Bible. A lot of people we know, a lot of people we come into contact have heard something. They they know something about Jesus or they think they do, but they don't know the real Jesus. And it's, it's not actually the God of the Bible they're rejecting. It's some corruption that they've heard part about and, and, and made up the rest in their mind. So how can they believe in one in whom they've never heard. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Because it's God's grace alone that makes any of this possible. It's, It's God's grace alone that saves us, that turns us from an Esau, which we deserve to be, into a Jacob. It's God's grace alone that can uproot the bitterness that is deeply seated in our hearts. It's God's grace alone that can make holy, grossly sinful, and sin-loving people like ourselves. It's God's grace alone that can bring peace between deeply prideful people like we are. It's only God's grace alone that gives us hope both for our life and in our death. It's by the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone that we endure to the end. So where we're positively commanded then to lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees to run with endurance the race set before us, we actually can't do that just for ourselves and by ourselves. By our strength, what is lame will be put out of joint altogether rather than healed because we don't run right (laughs) and we need correction. But Jesus' hands were lifted up on the cross 
so that our hands could be lifted in praise and humble service. By his incarnation, he knows what it is to be tired, to be limited, and and, and because of that, he can help us. He has the grace to help us in time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we keep coming back to that one because it's so important. Jesus himself is the God of Isaiah 35 that we read earlier in our assurance of pardon, who saves and who strengthens us. He provides that strength that we need to our failing members. And one of the ways he does so by his grace is by providing us with one another to help each other along the way. That's why we're called to strive for peace with everyone, to see to it, to make sure that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness causes many to become defiled, that no one is immoral or unholy like Esau. Our call is not just for ourselves, but it's to be there for one another and to help one another along the way. And that's been the call all throughout the book of Hebrews. You may remember, uh, if not later, you may want to look up to name just a few. Hebrews 3.13, 4.1, 4.11, 6.11, If you missed it in the first 11 and a half chapters, don't miss it here, okay? Over and over again, the refrain is, press on, run the race, but do it together. Help one another Be sure that no one misses it, that no one gets left behind. Because Jesus is better, right? That's the biggest theme of Hebrews. We keep that that, that one we come back to every single time. Jesus is better. And, And because of that, we're called to persevere in following Jesus. That's what we need to do. But we don't do it alone. And that's also been a constant theme throughout this book. And yes, we are, of course, called to seek all these things, peace, holiness, uh, gospel faithfulness, running well, all of these things for ourselves as well, of course. But in this text, we're also explicitly called, not even just to help, but to see to it in our neighbor, in our brothers and sisters, which means our walk with God, our race of faith, it can't be just a personal affair. It can't be something that's private. It's my business how your spiritual life is going, and it's your business how mine is going. And even better, it's our business together to be sure we're all moving forward together. And that's God's grace to us. Because we can have the eternal salvation of Jesus Christ our Lord and still our hands can droop. Still our knees grow weak. We're human. We still can get tired of the immense calling that it is day by day to walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus knows this. He knows it intimately. He knows it personally. And that's why he provides the church for us and us for the church. The church is an indescribable blessing. And if you don't know that deeply, if that hasn't been your experience, it's worth asking why. 
Because God's word says that it is. Sometimes uh, that's because we've been burned by people who misused the trust that we gave them. Uh, And that's evil and harmful. And God condemns it in the strongest terms. And he will not leave that evil unpunished. He promises he will make right the wrong that's been done, even in the church, especially in the church. But even in the face of that evil, he can still provide those in the church, some in the church, as a life-giving blessing, as water in the midst of the desert. And if you don't know that, it may be, it may not be, but it may be that you've never fully committed yourself to the church, to the work of, of, of being part of the body. You can't have people helping you if you don't open yourself up to it. If you're not seeking to help others, but when we lean on one another, when we actually bear one another's burdens and have our true burdens borne by others, when we really weep and rejoice with others in their significant moments because they become significant to us, and when we have them weep and rejoice with us in ours, when we challenge and encourage one another with God's word and have others challenge and encourage us, when we really sharpen one another, as God says, when we're spiritually vulnerable with one another and find true acceptance and love and understanding and help to grow rather than condemnation, then we begin to see what God intended the church to be. If you haven't found that, If that hasn't been your experience, then I not only encourage, but I challenge you to try doing it. Lean in, reach out, show up, share boldly, ask persistently, be the kind of brother, sister, friend that you need and see if God doesn't provide blessing 10, 20, 30 fold in return. Because not only do we receive help in kind, but there's a, a, a blessing for us just in being a blessing for others. As Pastor Matt pointed out a couple of weeks ago, the church is such a great blessing that people can sometimes come to see the church itself as the good news. That's how good it is. Do you believe that? I mean, of course, obviously, we know, hopefully, that the church isn't the good news of the gospel itself. We have no shortage of examples to prove that point. (laughs) But it is part of the good news, absolutely. And, And if you are one of those who's tempted to think that it's the best, just wait till you hear how great Jesus is. (laughs) Now, uh, seriously though, uh, I recognize that right now it's especially hard to be there for one another in the ways that we're used to, and the ways that we most appreciate it. Knowing how to do this well in the current environment is challenging. It's really hard. That's one way, actually, that we can work together to help one another come up with ideas for ways that we can love and serve one another in this time. We can work together uh, for uh, moving forward, right? Progressing in the work of God to keep doing it together. We need each other to come up with ideas together. At the very least, uh, let me encourage you, let me challenge you, start small. Reach out to someone. 
However you would normally reach out, phone, text, email, social media, right? Whatever works for you, whatever you would normally do to pray and share a Bible verse or a scripture passage. That's it, right? Low bar, just, just do that with one person this week. If it feels awkward at first, that's okay. You'll get more comfortable over time, right? Starting something uh, new often feels awkward, but uh, we get more comfortable over time. And this is, this is a good thing, right? This is something God calls us to. And, and if someone asks to pray with you or asks how they can pray for you, be open, be honest about your needs and ask about theirs and, and really listen, right? And then check in again a few days later to see how you can continue to be praying for them. I'll be honest, this is something I wish I did better, okay? So, so y'all keep me accountable, right? Ask me if I've been reaching out to pray for people. And when you do, we can pray for each other too, okay? If, if you don't know who to reach out to, ask me, ask Pastor Matt. We can connect you with someone. I promise you will not be the only one. We all need one another though. And how much more in this time do we need one another? This race wasn't meant to be run alone. We're all called to run after peace and holiness and the good news of the gospel, to keep running to the end. But the road is long and full of stumbling blocks. But God has given us a great gift to strengthen us for the journey. By his grace, we will make it to the end when we make it there together. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your church. Thank you for giving us one another for mutual help and upbringing. And we confess that we don't strive for peace, for holiness, and for the gospel as we ought to, even individually, let alone together. Lord, help us to see how working together helps us to pursue what you call us to even better. How we're not just commanded to be a part of one another's spiritual lives, but how it's a gift to be helped along and supported by our sisters and brothers and to be able to be involved in their growth too. Lord, strengthen our weak knees and lift our drooping hands for the work that you give us to do, that we may find the joy in it that you have for us as we work together to bring you glory on this earth. It's for your glory and in your name that we pray.